So today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go ahead and take a look at the temptations of Christ. We're going to see the highest of highs. We're going to see the lowest of lows. We're going to see challenges and opportunities. We're going to see how Jesus combated Satan, and he won. We're going to take a look at the provision, the protection, and the promise of God. The beautiful things that we can take, the beautiful thing is that we can take Jesus and what he did and apply it as a model into our very own lives. Now, let me ask you all this. Have you ever been tempted? Well, well I know, not you guys, not you guys. Well, let me tell you the story about Leilani. Doesn't that name just sound like a temptress? This was before I met my lovely bride and before I was really walking with Jesus as well. So let me preface this with that. I was working at Holiday Health Spa, or I believe it's called Bally's Fitness now, working at the juice bar. And oftentimes the uh, uh, ladies that would uh, go ahead and do the aerobics would come down and we'd get them their different protein and energy drinks and such. And one time Leilani comes down and she says, Adam, she goes, this is going to be my last day. And I was like, Oh, that's so sad. Uh, where are you going? And she let me know that she was transferring to another uh, uh, holiday health spa over in, uh, in Orange County. And I was like, well, you're, you're seriously, you're going to be missed. And we started talking a little bit. And um, as, as it went on and on, she had to get to her class. And, of course, I had to get back to making more juices. So um, I said, hey, why, why don't we uh, grab something? We're both closing, right? So why don't we grab something to eat? There's the Denny's right here in the parking lot. And, and she said, yeah, that sounds like a wonderful idea. So we went ahead, and after uh, we closed down the gym, went over to Denny's. And we, you ever had those conversations where just everything seems to be falling into place? Everything seems to be going right? I mean, here it was. We had similar backgrounds. We had uh, similar trials and, and uh, just the, the challenges in our lives. And she had come from a big family, and I had come from a big family, and she had a Hispanic background, and I had a Hispanic background. And it was just like everything was lining up. We spoke until about 2 o'clock in the morning. And she looks at me, and she says, where were you when I was looking for a man? I'm going to be married next month. And I thought, oh. And my heart just sank. And it was like, oh. But the conversation didn't end. And we continued to talk for about another hour or so. So now at 3 o'clock in the morning, whew, you want to talk about a temptation. We're hitting it off. Everything is going so well. But she was promised to somebody else. She had promised. She was promised. I was talking to the wife of another man. Now, I know in my heart of hearts that if I had said, hey, why don't we go back to my place? She probably would have said yes. We got up, I walked her out to her car, made sure that she got there safely, gave her a hug, and I never saw Leilani again. Now, I will tell you that my flesh, I was banging my head against the steering wheel the entire way back to my house knowing, what are you doing? She's beautiful. And that was one of the low points in my life as I was this single guy just looking to be loved. But then God placed in my, 
life. One of the high points. When I met my wife. Amen. You know, a lot of the commentators say that the temptation of Christ, it's improper to even go ahead and call it that because the Greek word uh, pirazo often means more or it's translated to to try or to make proof of or testing. Because can God really be tempted? William Barclay's commentary says, Priarzo has the completely different element in its meaning. It means far more to test than it means to tempt in our sense of the word. And Spurgeon goes on and further states, Luther's remark to, uh, stands true that prayer, meditation, and temptation are the three best instructors of the gospel minister. Amen. They're the three best instructors because if we succeed, we can give all the glory to God. And if we fail, when we fail, we also know that we have a God who is so rich in mercy, so rich in grace, that we can still come to him, knowing what a wretched man that I am. And he still offers us forgiveness. Because all, not most, but all of our sins were nailed to the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. And Lord, it is so beautiful that as we look at the life of your son, that as we learn more about him, that as we know that he's been through the same challenges, the same trials, the same temptations, God, that we know that you're a God that can relate to us. You're a God who understands when we go through those trials, those temptations. And unlike you, we're going to fail. We're going to give in to our flesh time and time again, Lord. But thank you. Thank you for the fact that your son did not fail. He did not fail us. He did not take the easy route. And Lord, what he did for us, we can never thank you enough. So God, today, I pray that as we go through your word, please, Lord, take away the things of man. And Lord, Holy Spirit, just be in this place and fill every ear with your scripture, every ear of your word, and what each person here needs to hear. Thank you, God. Know how much we love you. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So if you'd open up into your books, and we're going to be going through Matthew 4. Uh, we're just going to take verses 1 through 11 and really take a look at the temptations. So starting off in verse 1. Starting off in verse 1. All right, you don't get my narrator tonight or today. I'll do my best. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. 
But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and settleth him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up lest any time thou dast thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain and shrewed him all of the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, all these things I will give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now I know my narrator does a much better job, but I hope that was well for you. So we started off here in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Whoa. Now I don't know about you, but when I first read this, there's something that caught my eye. Something that a giant red flag went up. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted? Hmm. Can the Holy Spirit tempt us? Well, I don't know. Let's see what James has to say about it. In the book of James, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Oh, wait a second. Did we just find a contradiction in God's word? Well, let's finish this up. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desires have conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, brings forth death. So James just concluded and confirmed that here it is, God cannot be tempted. Now, the Holy Spirit cannot tempt us, but the Holy Spirit can lead us to a place to be tempted. It sounds odd, doesn't it? I mean, you would think that God would want the best for us, so why would he go ahead and take us to a place where we could be tempted? Now, if we said that the Holy Spirit was a restrainer, well, that would make perfect sense. Because when we read in Acts um, uh, 16 and 7, verse 6 and 7 in Paul, um, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithia, but the Spirit did not permit them. 
So that makes sense. Or in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. So when the Holy Spirit would lead us or restrain us, it makes sense. But why would he lead us to be tempted? Now, it's not to prove something to God because God knows everything, right? But instead, to prove something to us and to the spiritual beings watching. Remember when we read in 1 Peter 1-2, to them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you though, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. You see, when we're tempted and we make it through those, that's something that the angels marvel at. That's something that we can then prove to ourselves, thank you, God, for getting me through this temptation. So the Holy Spirit can be both the restrainer and not only the one who leads us towards good things, but also to things that get ruined, things that to be tempted. Now, if you remember, when we left off last, last chapter, here it was, we were at a high point in Jesus' life. There's no doubt about that. We had, remember his baptism, and we had God in heaven saying, this is my only begotten son in whom I'm well pleased. It was no doubt this high point. But now where do we see him now, all the way out in the middle of the desert. And he was out there for 40 days and 40 nights. Hmm. The number 40. Why is this significant? Why is the number 40 so special? Why should I even talk about it? Well, I know it's something very special to me because at 40 years old, that's when I first got my glasses. <laughs> you know, my father-in-law told me when I was in my 20s, hey, Adam, you know what? After 40... It's all downhill from there. And I was like, are you kidding me, Pop? No way. I work out. You know, I got to stay in shape for my job and everything like that. Nah, not me. I'm beating the odds. Yeah, yeah, it was 40. It was, it's been all downhill since then. <laughs> but the number 40 is worth mentioning because it's mentioned 146 times in Scripture. The number 40 generally symbolizes a period of testing, trial, or probation. Now, if you remember, here it was, Moses. He was in Egypt for 40 years. Then he was out in the desert for 40 years. Then God selected him to lead his people out of slavery. And I heard it once said that God allowed Moses to be somebody for 40 years, then made him a nobody for 40 years just to teach him that God can use nobody to be somebody for his kingdom. Moses was also up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights on two separate occasions. First, we read about it in Exodus 24, 18, and then in 34, 1 through 28, receiving God's law while he was up there. He also spent spies into the land for how many days? 40 days, yes, okay? For 40 days to investigate the land that God had promised the Israelites as an inheritance. And we read that in Numbers uh, 13 and 14. The prophet Jonah powerfully warned the ancient Nineveh people for how many days? 
40 days, right, okay? That its destruction would come if they didn't change their ways. The prophet Ezekiel laid on his right side for how many days? 40 days, okay, right, as a, symbolization of, uh, as a symbol of Judah's sins. Um, Elijah went how many days? 40. 40 days, yes. He went 40 days without food or water at Mount Herob. Also, Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights as he fasted before starting his ministry. You see, the number 40 can also represent the generation of man. Because of their sins after leaving Egypt, God swore the generation of the Israelites who left Egyptian bondage would never enter their inheritance in Canaan. And we read that in Deuteronomy 1. The children of Israel were punished by wandering in the wilderness for how many years? 40 years. Before a new generation was allowed to possess the promised land. Jesus um, also, after his crucifixion, prophesies the total destruction of Jerusalem. We're going to read that later in Matthew 24. Forty years after his crucifixion, in 30 AD, the mighty Roman Empire destroyed the city and burnt his beloved temple down to the ground. So Jesus was out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He went from a peak to a valley. And it's remarkable. Look at the contrast following Jesus' baptism. We went from the cool waters of the Jordan to the now barren wilderness. We went from the huge crowds to the solitude and silence. We went from the spirit resting upon him like a dove. Now the spirit drives him out into the wilderness. We went from the voice of the father calling him beloved son now to the hiss of Satan, the tempter. We went from the anointed to the attacked. We went from the water of baptism to the fire of temptation. We went from heavens opening up to now hell on earth. If Jesus can go through such extremes, don't you think we'll experience the same things in our lives? So if you're at a mountaintop right now, don't worry, the other foot's going to drop. You'll be in this gutter soon. And if you're in the gutter or in your valley, rejoice. Because you will be on a mountaintop again. It's just around the corner, folks. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now, this is interesting. Because after seeking his father, after denying his flesh for 40 days, he was hungry. Now, physiologists tell us that when one fasts for that length of time, you actually lose your appetite. You lose your appetite, that is, until you are on the verge of death. Then, every system inside of your body is crying out, feed me, literally, okay, nourish me. Jesus was right there. He was at that point when Satan came to him. See, Satan doesn't come to us when we're at our strongest, does he? No. Instead, it's when we're at our weakest. In verse 3, it says, Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Mm. 
Command that these stones become bread. Ah. Doesn't that look good? That bread looks good. Now, my beautiful wife, she makes homemade bread. And when you take it out of the oven and you cut into it, and there's that steam that's coming out, you can smell it, the whole aroma around the house, and you take just a little bit of butter. Uh, okay, a whole lot of butter. <laughs> and it just melts into the bread. Ah, oh, it is just a little piece of heaven. Now, now... Can you imagine? I can't wait 40 seconds after she gets it out of there, much less after 40 days being tempted by something like this. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing is in that region where Jesus was, after his fasting, there are literally millions of round limestones that look like what? Look like bread, don't they? And I think it's interesting because who is he dealing with here? Who is he talking to? He's talking to the deceiver, right? He didn't have to do very much, did he? No, in order to attempt to deceive Christ. But yet here it is. No doubt after fasting, even these rocks probably look pretty good. Now Satan comes to him and says, if you're really the son of God, can't you almost hear the disdain in his voice? If you're the son of God. Right? He knows exactly who he's talking to. Remember in Scripture, even the demons knew who Jesus was. And we're going to read this ahead in Matthew 8, 29, where it says, And strongly and suddenly they, the demons, cried out, saying, What have you to do with us, Jesus, you the Son of God? If, um, excuse me, you have come here to torment us before the time. See? Satan knows exactly who he's talking to, right? So, if Satan knew, right, and here it is, he's saying, if you are really the son of God, then why are you hungry? If you are the son of God, why is this happening? What is the enemy doing here? He's questioning the father's provision. And that's the first point that I want to bring up. God's provision. You see, during Jesus' baptism, God identifies him as his beloved son. And now, Satan comes on scene, challenging the very words that God had spoken. Satan does the same thing to us, doesn't he? If you're really a child of God, where's the Father's provision? Why are your bills piling up? Why is there lack in you physically or spiritually, materially? He comes and he whispers in our ear, do something on your own power. Exercise your faith. Make it happen now. But God would have us to be patient. Remember the answer to prayer is always yes, no, or wait. I know, wait is the toughest one, but be patient. We are his children, and his promises, he will make sure that they are met. He will give us our daily bread. Most of us want to reach the promised land without ever having to go through the wilderness. We want it immediately. We are a generation of self-gratification and immediate gratification, are we not? I remember one time being in the airport and here's this lady on her cell phone and she's like, oh. 
it's taking so long. Why doesn't this call go through? Well, okay, let's see. First off, the signal has to go from your phone all the way over to the antenna here. Then it beams it up to the satellite, thousands of miles above the Earth, over to another satellite on the other side of the Earth, then beams it back down again over to another responder, and then over to somebody else's cell phone. And she was upset because it was taking like 15 seconds. <laughs> Only proving our point. We want things, and we want them now. But the father says no. He said, there's a time of preparation. Wait, don't panic. I will provide. You know, it's like the man who one time was praying, and he said, Lord, is it true that a million years is like a second for you? The Lord answered, yes. And the man asked, is it also true that a million dollars is like a penny to you? And the Lord answered, yes. Well, Father, could I have a penny? <laughs> and the Lord answered, yes, in a second. <laughs> we need to remember and realize that the Lord's timing is not our timing. Jesus knew this, and he wouldn't rush things or kind of push things in, or try to take matters into his own hands. Instead, he would wait. And instead of eating dry little loaves of bread, he would dine on angel food cake. <laughs> Verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, first we need to go ahead and pay attention. How was it that Jesus combated Satan? Did he go ahead and was it this push back and forth, these swords clanging back and forth and everything like this, this huge struggle, and eventually he overpowers him and lops off his head? No. What does he do? He merely quotes Scripture. That's it. Remember what Spurgeon was saying? He said that prayer, meditation, and temptation are the three best instructors of the gospel minister. Meditation... On what? Meditating on Scripture. So that our hearts and our minds are ready when the attacks come. You know, I practice at the range every month. Every month with my gun. Why? Because when the attack comes, I need to be ready. So you need to be ready as well. So that when the attacks come, you will be ready. So how does Jesus defend himself? By quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, my best friend growing up used to have a poster. And on it, it said, the scripture, it said, man cannot live by bread alone. And it had a giant picture of a beer mug. <laughs> I don't think that that's what Jesus was talking about when he quoted this or when he wrote it. However, however, what Jesus is staying, saying here instead is that we don't need to go ahead and put our faith in the material realm or the physical food, but what's most important is the spiritual food we find in God's word. Okay, so Satan thinks, all right, all right. Yeah, that was kind of weak. Little rocks, some bread, trying to tempt the son of God with that. I need to ramp things up a little bit. All right, let's take a look at verse 5. 
Verse 5, then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Ooh. Now I don't know about you, but that creeps me out. Okay? This creeps me out. Doesn't it? Now, I've had spiritual attacks before, and it felt exactly like this. Like something had just wrapped its arms around me and was raising me up, lifting me up into the air. Now, I'd love to tell you that I just go, quoted some scripture and, you know, things disappeared and it'd go perfectly with this message. But what I did do was I called on the name of Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And immediately, I was released. But look at what, what Satan is doing here, okay? He is going ahead, and he is personally attacked, okay? He is attacking our Lord and Savior. The devil says to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest dash your foot against them. Now, this should scare you and encourage you all at the same time. Because this is a tactic that the enemy uses. You see, the enemy knows Scripture, doesn't he? Yeah. If you come out with us on Wednesday nights, you'll know that because here it is. Starting off in the Garden of Eden. What did Satan say? Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? You surely will not die. See, Satan can use Scripture against you so that it's not just him questioning God, but then you start questioning God. But notice what Satan does here. Two points on this. First off, Satan questions God's protection. So first, he went ahead and he questioned God's provision. Next, he goes and he questions his protection. Do you believe the Father will really protect you, Jesus? Prove it. Prove it to yourself. Prove it to me. Prove it to all of Israel. That's what Satan says. Let's go to the pinnacle. Let's go all the way up to the top. Jump down. Doesn't God's word say that and declare that his angels will have charge over you? You won't even stub your toe. Now, notice what Satan starts off with. Again, if you are the son of God. He keeps questioning, doesn't he? right? If you are the son of God, he tries to keep casting doubt. He knows that Jesus is the son of God, but then as he goes on, what is he doing? He's saying that the son of God is going to be protected. You see, if we pay attention, we catch him in his own lie. And he quotes Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12, but take a look at these, these two phrases, okay? Psalm 91, 11, uh, actually says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Ooh, I don't see that there. Do you? No, to keep you in all, in all of whose ways? God's ways. Interesting how he went ahead and omitted that phrase. Jesus knew this, though, and he answered accordingly. 
Verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The Father will provide for me. The Father will protect me. But I'm not going to test God. Don't take Scripture out of context. Text. Don't test God. Because if you go ahead and you wander out onto the freeways and you say, you know what, Adam, I'm going to prove to everybody right now, God is going to protect me. He is going to keep me. He's going to keep you all right up in heaven. And I'm going to be cleaning up a 100-foot man on the freeway. <laughs> okay? So, yes, we're not to test God. All right, so then here it is. We move on, and in verse 8, again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. You see, here it is. Satan says, all right, bread, no dice. Didn't work. Okay, I go ahead and I throw out there, hey, a little bit of Scripture. That didn't work either. So what does he have to do? He has to pull out all the stops, right? And this is it. So he takes him up to a seating a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. So what does he do? He goes ahead and he shows him all the kingdoms. <laughs> Disneyland, the magic kingdom. He could have had all the e-ticket rides he wanted. The mouse and all. What was he really showing him? He was showing him all of the kingdoms. Now let's take a moment. Let's think about this. First off, is, are these kingdoms even Satan's to give? I mean, isn't everything God's, right? We say that all the time. It's all God's anyway, right? Mm. Let's take a look at that just a little bit more. Because if you remember, here it is. God is questioning God's promise. Now, how did Satan gain control of the world? Now, originally, God gave man dominion over all the earth. But when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he turned the title deed of the planet over to Satan. You know, Jesus even says it later in John 12, 31. He's quoted as saying, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So out of Jesus' own mouth, we verify that, yes, Satan has the keys. He's got the title deed to this world right now. But now, let's think about this from Jesus' perspective. Here it is. He's given all the kingdoms of this world. He doesn't have to go to the cross. He doesn't have to feel the pain, the suffering. He doesn't have to feel the scourging. He doesn't have to do any of that. He can bypass it all. Remember when he was in the garden? God, if it be your will, take this cup from me. He didn't want to do it anymore. His flesh didn't want to do it. And that's the one thing that God, or excuse me, that Satan uses in order to tempt him. His weakness of the flesh. Think about it, folks. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to go through hell for you or me. 
That's what Satan was offering him. And you think, you've got temptations? You know, there was a Tom Clancy book called Clear and Present Danger. And they made a movie out of it. And in it, our government is performing these clandestine operations down in Colombia. And slowly but surely, they're taking out all of these drug lords. Well, they pretty much get it down to about one. And one of his henchmen comes up, and he gets in touch with a, a high-ranking CIA official. And he says, hey, you've taken care of all the little fish. I'll take care of the big fish. Think about it. All the shipments of drugs that are going into your country right now, I can bring them down to next to nothing. Think of all the lives that you're going to be saving by doing this. All I ask from you is that you go ahead and sacrifice the special forces teams that are down there right now. You know, when I first read that, I thought to myself, wow, I pray that I am never placed in that position. Think about it. Hey, they're soldiers. They know that their lives are on a, you know, a borrowed time anyway. And if I sacrifice one team, I can save maybe thousands of lives, maybe hundreds of thousands of lives from drug abuse. But notice, what is it that that person has to do? They just have to go ahead and give those few men as an offering. That's it. I thought to myself I'd be so torn because I'd have to make the decision of doing the right thing or doing what I might consider is best. Or should I say, easiest. So Satan here tells Jesus, take the shortcut. The promise of the Father, who knows when it's even going to be fulfilled, if it'll even be fulfilled. Fall down, and you can have it all right now. To all my single brothers and sisters out there, God promises to you that he's going to bless you one of these days. He's going to bless you. He makes the promise in your heart at this time that he's going to send somebody. Send somebody who you can walk with in the way of the Lord. But Satan comes to you, and he says, are you sure that promise is going to come to pass? Let me give you right now. Oh, look at this pretty girl. Oh, I know she's not a Christian. But you can influence her. You can tell her. You can show her the right direction she needs to go. She'll go to church with you. No big deal, right? It'll be fine. Satan comes to us and begins to question whether we can put our trust in the Father's promise that he will give us the desires of our heart. Why are you hungry? Where's your Father's provision? Satan says jump. Or you doubt your Father's protection. Make it happen now. Don't wait for your Father's promise. If you look at all the temptations that come your way, I think you'll find that each and every one of them will fall into one of these three categories. The Father's provision, 
the Father's protection or the Father's promise. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So Jesus says, Phew, glad that was over. Never have to worry about those temptations again, as he's munching on some angel food cake, right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Because if we go ahead and if we look at Luke, in Luke 14, 3, that describes the same incident, it says in verse 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, remember, all three of them, those are the three. Satan doesn't change his playbook. It's the same thing. And unfortunately, we give into it time and time again. But it says, after the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. See, just because you make it through one temptation, that doesn't mean you're done because they're going to come again and again and again. How did Jesus overcome Satan? He first quoted Scripture. I'm going to kind of wrap things up right now. Whether he was dealing with the question of provision, of protection, or of promise, in all three cases, Jesus quoted Scripture. This encourages me because I can do the same thing. You can do the same thing. When the enemy attacks, I can quote Scripture. And we can do exactly what Jesus did. The Father is not providing for you. He's not really going to protect you. That promise is not meant for you. Quote Scripture. But notice when Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, he was saying, I am not going to live by bread alone. The material realm has no priority or importance to me. When he said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, he was saying, I am not going to tempt the Lord because the word forbids it. When he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He was saying, I will serve my father and him alone. You see, many Christians are under the impression, mistaken impression, that by simply quoting scripture, Satan is going to go running away and screaming like a little girl. But remember, Satan can quote Scripture himself. So can the demons. Now listen up. The power lies in submission to the Word, not just in reciting it. Let me say that one more time. I really want this to sink in. The power lies in submission to the Word, not just in reciting it. You see, Satan flees, not when he hears you say, I will do it. Excuse me, I will quote it, but I will do it. Notice that two out of the three pieces of Scripture are from Deuteronomy 6 and 8. Personally, I believe Jesus was doing his daily study when Satan came along. 
And that's the passages he was in. Meditating upon the Word of God is crucial because Satan comes to me not when I least expect it, or excuse me, when I least expect it. He doesn't come to me and say, Adam, hey, I'm going to tempt you in three days. Better get ready. Does he? No. He watches. He waits. He sees that I'm in a place of weakness, that I'm in a place of frustration, tension, fatigue, or transition. And then, boom, that's when he strikes. <laughs> Punk. That's what he is. But meditate upon the word of God. And like Jesus, in submission to the word, your demons will flee. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to submit to your word. We want to submit to your will. And Lord, I pray that you would just allow us more and more to have your word etched upon our heart. Lord, literally to have it as a holster in our holster, ready to go, so that when the enemy comes, we are ready to combat him. That we are ready to fight the good fight. Lord, that we are ready to give you all the glory, all the honor. Jesus, be with us. Lord, lead us. Lead us just as you led us with your example here today. God, thank you. Thank you for the amazing Savior that we can look to and follow as an example. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And it is his, in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Would you all stand for the last song?